Hey, well, the topic today is love, right? And I hope you recognize it from 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, uh, I want to welcome you if you're very first time here. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and uh, today we're going to be continuing our series in the movement. And inside your, your bulletin, your program, is a uh, white message note sheet that we use every week. So if especially the first time, I encourage you to take that out. I've got a special announcement um, Looking forward to, you know, on Easter weekend, we had several people that came to Christ, gave the, decided to become Christ followers. And uh, so we're going to be doing a baptism. Yeah. And uh, in fact, we're doing it in just a couple of weekends. It's the weekend of Mother's Day. We decided, you know, what a great time uh, celebrating new birth, new life uh, to baptize people. And so uh, if you are a new Christ follower and you want to get baptized, um, uh, or for whatever reason, you're an old Christ follower and you've been disobedient for a long time, um, it's time to catch up, and so on Mother's Day uh, weekend, that 9th and 10th, uh, we'd love to, to do that. And so if you want to be uh, baptized, just write it on your registration card today. When you turn in baptism, we'll contact this week with how to do that, information, and so on. And uh, beyond that, we're going we're gonna to jump in into our time of teaching. Are you ready to go? Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we're just thankful for what you're doing here at Rocky Peak. Lord, another beautiful day. Just today to walk in, to encounter you in worship and now in the word. And God, that's why we're here. We've really come to meet with you. We've come to, to sit at your feet. We've come to, to listen to what your spirit would say. We've come to open up your word. We've come to just kind of make ourselves available. God, we want to meet with you. That's what today is all about. And so we're coming for encounter. That's why we're here. We pray now that, God, as we seek you, that you would seek us. As you said in your word over and over again, that seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask and it shall be given. And so we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. Today you'd come and meet with us as we talk about what it means to be a passionate movement of Christ's followers, loving people. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today. It's really kind of like any other day. Um, it was a beautiful day outside. And, and yet he was, he was kind of dreading this day. Uh, he'd been dreading it for a long time because today was a day he was going to make this, this trip, this long journey, 17 miles on foot from the capital city to the valley below. And, and not only was it dry, and not only was it dusty, and not only was it in the middle of, of nowhere, but it, it was also a little bit dangerous, a little bit like maybe walking through inner city L.A. at 2 a.m., you know, something like that, a little scary. Um, sometimes robbers would hang out, sometimes bandits would be there. They would stop uh, travelers, rip them off, steal their stuff, sometimes worse, and, uh, and yet he made the commitment he needed to go. And so that morning he got up, he brushed his teeth, he got dressed, he packed his lunch, got his bag, and, and he headed out, little knowing that this day would change his life forever. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in now for a long time. It's called The Movement, Movement at Rocky Peak the last couple of months. If you've been here during this, this journey with us, you know that very first week we launched the series by, by taking a look at this new vision statement that we believe God's given us for our future. This whole series is about... Uh, uh, the vision we believe God's given us for uh, our future in terms of our vision, our values, and our strategies. So the very first week, we, we took a time to look at our, our vision statement. And then in the, the seven weeks following that, we, we took a week each to talk about our seven core values that God's kind of written on our hearts as a church. And then after Easter, we've been looking at our, our strategies and how do we carry out the vision. Now there in your note sheet, if you're brand new, we like to start here every week just to, uh, to launch off is to, to, to kind of set the stage for our vision, both to, to kind of drive it in our hearts as a church, but also for those of you who are new to catch up to speed. So here's our vision. It's to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. We're doing four things. 
We're pursuing God, our top priority, to know him, to love him, to experience him, follow him, to please him. Number two, to, uh, to love one another. We're going to be talking about that uh, today, what that looks like. Love people. Uh, third, to be serving sacrificially with our time, our gifts, our abilities to make the world a better place. And then finally, to be sharing Christ, that once we become a follower of Jesus, we become part of his movement. It's all of our responsibility to help advance the cause kind of 24-7, wherever we are, wherever he places us. And so, so we, we, the first week we took a look at that, spent seven weeks on our values, and now we're talking these, in this last uh, section of the series, um, we're talking about the strategies. And we're breaking down, we're starting it by taking those four statements, pursuing God, loving people, serving sacrificially, spending a week on each of those. And so last week was pursuing God, today we're on loving people. Now, there in your note sheet, if you turn the page, there's a section called loving people, what's it look like? And uh, uh, I, I think it's a hallmark of the movement of Jesus that we're to be uh, lovers of people. We're to love them extravagantly. We're to love them lavishly. We're to love them indiscriminately. Um, and I think that the place to start today is where we started last week. Uh, you remember that Jesus, when he was once asked, of all the commandments in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law, there's 613 of them, um, which would you say would be the very most important? The spiritual leader comes. And you remember his answer was, is what God cares most about in our lives is that we would be passionate about him, that that relationship would be the most important relationship in our life, that we would love him as he has loved us, that he would be our first love, our deepest passion, our highest priority in life to please him. Um, and that's number one. And he, he quoted from Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mo- mind, soul, and strength. But uh, the man who asked him, remember, he only asked for the top commandment. Like if there's only one you want to keep, if there's one you want to make sure you don't break, like which would it be? But it was his lucky day. It was kind of like two for one Friday or whatever. Because Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to throw in another one. Just one day only, QVC, but one day only, you're going to get two for the price of one. So here's the second top priority, second commandment. Quotes from Leviticus 19 where he says, I want you, uh, it's to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so one of the hallmarks of the movement of Jesus is that we're to be lovers of people. But of course, once you say that we're to love our neighbor as yourself, it raises a question like, well, who's my neighbor? Um, and, and fortunately, there was another time in the life of Jesus where someone else asked him that question. They, they'd actually come up and they said, hey, Jesus, I want to be part of the next life kingdom and the resurrection and so on. So what do I need to do? Well, what's your Bible say? Well, it says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor yourself. He'd been paying attention. She says, good, just do that and you'll live. And he says, yeah, but, but like, who's my neighbor? Like, can, can we kind of qualify that a little bit? Can we set some limits on that? Like, can we, can we limit my spiritual liability a little bit? You know, what are the limits of love? Like when you say love your neighbor, would you, would you say that's like maybe like three doors down? You know, or, or like, like maybe four doors, is it to the end of the street, my whole block? Like at what point can I stop loving people? You know, I want to narrow this thing down. Like who's my neighbor, who's not my neighbor? Let's get these two buckets clear so I know who to love and who I don't have to love. And so Jesus tells a story. It's become a very famous story today. In fact, we call it the story of the Good Samaritan. But in that day, trust me, that's the last thing they would have called the story. Because he's telling it to a Jewish audience. And for a Jewish audience, the only Good Samaritan is a a dead Samaritan. Right. They had this huge racial tension that had been going on for 700 years. 
Now, um, I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but basically the Jews saw the Gentile, uh, the Samaritans, they saw them as sellouts. They were once Jews themselves, but now they're half-breeds. They intermarried with pagans. Their religion got kind of crazy, gotten off track. And so they saw them as like spiritual traitors, spiritual sellouts. And so they, they wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. And guess what? Samaritans felt the same way about the Jews. So, for example, they would never intermarry. They would never live in the same part of town. They couldn't worship at each other's places of worship. I mean, they were, there was just some serious animosity. They hated one another. In fact, uh, like to get us in the frame of mind, you almost have to go back to, say, like South Africa before apartheid. Think of that, like the blacks and the whites. Or think of, say, Northern Ireland today, Protestants and Catholics. Or think of like Serbia and the, and the, the, you know, the, the, the animosity, say, between the Cro- uh, Croats and, and the Serbs in Bosnia or something like that. Or, or you go to Africa, you know, think of the, the, the kind of the, 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 the uh, genocide that's happened like in places like Rwanda between tribes. Or Are, are you with me in this? You kind of getting this? These racial hostilities, they, they run deep and they run hundreds of years. And so, so the one thing that, that's really important to understand before you know the story, before you tell the story, is that, that these people were enemies, right? So this, this is like the backdrop of the story. So the guy comes to Jesus, what do I need to do? Um, you know, who's, who's my neighbor? Who's not my neighbor? Can you help me define this? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. It was once upon a time, there was a man. He was traveling, uh, he was a Jewish man. He's traveling from Jerusalem, the capital. He's going down 17 miles to the city of Jericho. It's a 3,000 feet drop in elevation, 17 miles, dry road, dusty road, out the middle of nowhere. I've been there a couple times. It's still like that today, kind of crazy. Um, if you've, and, and, as you go down there, a lot of times robbers would hang out. There would be caves and stuff. They would hang out. Sometimes that they would attack travelers, uh, rip them off, sometimes worse. And so he's not real excited about going, but he's made the commitment, whatever, he's got to go. So he's, got, he's on this way, and sure enough, it happens. Now, like I can picture this. Picture, you know, walking through maybe inner city, L.A. or something, 2 a.m., and all of a sudden two guys come out, stand at the end of right in front of you, 2 o'clock in the morning. It's like you're thinking, this is, cannot be good, right? I don't think they're welcoming me. don't think they're here to shake my hand. All of a sudden you turn, or you turn around you, there's four guys behind you. Can, can you feel the fear? Can you feel this? Well, this is this guy's experience. He gets ambushed. And, and these guys, are they're not just out for his money. I mean, they're just out for violence. And, and so they, they take it to him. And they, they not only steal his stuff, but they, they, they beat him up really badly. Uh, he's wounded terribly. They strip his clothes off. Uh, they leave him naked, dying by the side of the road. So Jesus is telling this story. And, and remember, I mean, the crowd's never heard this story. Like, we've heard the story. The crowd's never heard this story. So if you're there in the crowd, you've got to go, oh, where's this going? You know? Like, wow, this is a pretty gruesome story. And, and so, but now the story begins to shift, and there's a couple guys that have been coming, coming down the road one at a time. And, and they're both Jewish people. So if you're in the crowd that day, you're getting excited about this. Oh, good, you know, cavalry's on the way. Someone's going to help this poor guy. Um, and on top of being Jewish people, they're both like spiritual leaders. Um, one guy is a priest, which would be the equivalent, like a pastor today, one guy is a Levite, is a temple worker, kind of like a person on church staff. So you got a couple, you know, people from church staff coming down one at a time, and you're thinking like, yeah, this is it, you know? Okay, what's going to happen here? And they just kind of keep on going. And they walk by their, they didn't stop, don't check, just keep on going. Jesus doesn't tell us why 
We don't know if they're in a hurry. You know, we don't know if they just didn't want to get involved. We don't know if they're maybe afraid, like, hey, this is an ambush. If we stop, they're going to get us too. Um, maybe they're, they thought he was dead. If you touched a dead body in those days, you had to go through this big ritual to get cleansed, and maybe they just want the hassle. I mean, who knows? We don't know why, but, but they, they didn't stop. That's the point. And so, and so the crowd's just like wondering, like, where's this story going? You know, he just made the priest look really bad, made the Levite look really bad. So, so what's going to happen to this poor guy? And so next, the guy that comes along is the Samaritan. It's like, uh, you know, subtitle on film, scumbag, right? The scumbag comes along. I mean, that's how they'd hear it. Scumbag comes along. And so now if you're in the crowd, it's like, oh, great. What is he going to choke him to death, you know? Um, take his donkey and trample on him, you know? It's like, where's this story going? Uh, you, you, then the last thing you expect is the, the scumbag to stop and help, and they're enemies. I mean, if this guy was healthy and he passed the Samaritan on the way, they, they wouldn't talk, they wouldn't greet, they'd go on the other sides of the road, the Jew might spit. You know, it's like, this is, you, you, you're not expecting help from scumbag. And so, but scumbag stops, he checks on the guy, uh, he, he, and he goes into action. He begins to love him lavishly, extravagantly, and indiscriminately, even though he's his enemy. He, he reaches his saddlebags. He's got his donkey there. reaches his saddlebags. He pulls out bottle, a jar of oil, pulls out a bottle of wine, which they'd use for food, but they'd also use for medicine in that day. And so he begins, like, taking this naked guy and taking, gets out some rags, and he begins, like, working on his body, just kind of working through the wounds, cleaning out the wounds, pouring the oil and cleaning out the wounds, put some wine in, kind of, uh, you know, like anesthesia or, or, or uh, antiseptic, you know, just cleanse, cleanse this thing out. And, and so he's working. He's probably, probably spending a long, this guy's beat up bad. He's probably spending an hour or so with him. He finally gets him cleaned up. He puts some, he puts some clothes on him. He puts him on his own donkey now, and he, he takes him to the local Motel 6. And so they, now we don't know if it's the Motel 6 in Jericho or in Jerusalem, but it was one of the two, I know. And so, now, now picture this, the guy's on his donkey now, so now Joe's scumbag is walking, right? So they're walking a long ways, we don't know how long, but they, they get to one of these locations, and he goes to the Motel 6, you got a room, yeah, I got a room, and he says, I gotta need to take care of this guy, so he pays the bill, he takes him, and he hangs out with him all day long, nursing him to health, making sure this guy doesn't die. The next morning he gets up, calls the hotel manager and says, look, I got to go. I think the guy's going to make it, okay, but he needs a place to rest. And so, look, I want to cover him. I'm not sure how long it's going to take. And so he reaches into his wallet and starts pulling out some C-notes. And he says, uh, I'm going to give you two days' worth of uh, salary. Not on how much you make, but two days of salary is a lot of money. I don't care, you know, how much you make. That's a lot of money. And so he... He pulls out some bills and says, here's, here's two Tuesdays days with salary. I'd like you to take care of this guy. And he says, and listen, here's my, here's my MasterCard. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm coming back in a week or two. But when I get back, um, you can just kind of run up the tab, put it on my bill. Just put it on my charge account. You know, I'll cover it. It's, it's covered. I said, if you're there in the crowd, th- this, is, this story is not going the way you want. You've just called my pastor <laughs> and you've just called my my uh, uh, church leader, you just called them like, they made him look really bad. You made scumbag the hero, and, and I'm not liking this. So he turns to, uh, Jesus turns to the guy who asked the question, now who's my neighbor? I want to limit my liability here. And he says, okay, so who would you say loved the man? Like who was, kind of loved him like a neighbor? Like who was the neighbor to him? And, 
And the guy cannot even, he hates Samaritan so much, he can't bring himself to say the word Samaritan. So he goes, well, uh, gee, uh, the one that uh, showed him mercy. And he goes, like, yeah, good call. You're right. Okay, so Jesus, so, so that's what I want you to do. I want you to love people like that. I want you to love them extravagantly. I want you to love them uh, indiscriminate with your, your friend, your enemy, anyone in between. Just love people. That's what I want you to do. Just kind of do that. That's what, that's what it means to us. And so, so Jesus kind of defines this, that, that as his followers were to be lovers of people, big-time big lovers of people. Um, a few chapters earlier in Luke, that story is told in Luke 10. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus actually kind of lays out on the Sermon on the Mount some more teaching on this. It's very didactic, you know, point upon point. And you'll remember some of this, a lot of you. Uh, remember what he said? He said, Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies, right? Love your enemies. Now, that sounds really cool when we're in church. It sounds really good until there's like some real live enemies. Are you with me in this? Like, like in your mind right now, I want you to start, take that title, enemies, I want you to start putting some pictures on the, on the, on the, the noteboard of your life, okay? Uh, for some of you, that's going to be like an ex-spouse. Their picture's going to go right there. Uh, for some of you, it's going to be like a friend who betrayed you. It's going to go right there. For some of you, you've got a boss who's like right there. Enemies, right there. Got a boss. For some of you, it's that lady at work that's so catty and just slanders everyone. And it's like, you know, she's right there. Put an enemy there. Okay, let's, let's go more global. Hey, we, we don't want just personal enemies. We've got like international enemies, don't we? We've got international enemies. Oh, put them there. There we go. Enemies, go on the board. Um, how, how about just some social enemies? Like, like there's some people in our country that, that hate us as Christ followers, right? And they would, they would be an enemy of everything we stand for. They're pro this or they're anti that, right? So we, we could put some groups up there, couldn't we? He said, okay, th these would be enemies. And okay, and now, now we've got the poster board of our life filled out with some real enemies. Are you with me? So, so now we go back and we read, which is, I want you to love your Are you kidding me? These people hate you, God. These people stand for everything that you're against. These people are your enemies. They're not my enemies. They're your enemies. Love your enemies. Oh, Jesus goes on. Oh, and do good to those who hate you. Have anyone who hates you in your life? Any groups that hate you, that hate us as a movement, hate Christ followers, hate Christians? Any, any groups out there? Oh, we're to do good to those who hate us. And then Jesus goes on and says, yeah, he says, because what's really the big deal if you love those who love you? I mean, that's like everyone does that. Even gangbangers do that. I mean, everyone does that. He said, even sinners love sinners. Like, what credit is that? No big deal. He says, hey, your calling is to be like your father in heaven who is kind to those who are ungrateful and wicked. This is your calling. As Christ's followers, we're, we're called to love people extravagantly, indiscriminately, lavishly. Are you with me? Now, I, I don't know about you. Does this sound like kind of a hard calling? <laughs> yeah, right. It sounds very difficult to me. Uh, because one thing I know about human beings, human nature, two things I know, and is that number one, we love people who love us and are like us. Another thing is we don't like people who hurt us. They hate us, right? And so it sounds really good to love your enemy until you have one. 
And then once you have one, you want to kill them, right? This is like human nature, right? This, this is human. And so I, I, I just want to flesh this out because if we're going to be followers of Jesus, this means this is going to be a supernatural thing that has to happen. Are you with me in this? This, this is not natural. This is supernatural. To love our enemies is not natural. It's supernatural. Okay, so, so what does it look like for us as a church to love our enemies in our personal life, in our corporate life? What does it look like? What's our strategy to love our enemies? Well, there in your note sheet, you have a section. It's called Loving Our Neighbor, the Twin Spheres of Love. So we're going to talk about this. You know, of course, Jesus, now, he not only taught about loving enemies, I mean, he, he did this, didn't he? Uh, you know, the one picture that comes to mind, snapshot, is Jesus on the cross being nailed down, not an opportune moment in his life. And remember what he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they're crucifying God right now. They don't really get this. And so would you forgive them? And, you know, honestly, I think we often read stories like that of Jesus and we go, oh, man, that was an amazing thing. It was kind of like a one-time deal, kind of like the resurrection, kind of a one-time amazing thing. Wow, that was amazing. He must have stood on his tiptoes for that one spiritually and just like, whoa, you know, I'm going to love people and this one-time thing. But that, really, this is just the way Jesus did life. All that was happening that day was that we got to see him in the most worst circumstances possible, how he felt about his enemies. But this is really how he did life every day. Uh, he, he's just going to love you. doesn't matter you're for him or against him. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to roll over and play dead. And I want you to get this. Uh, misunderstand me in this. I, I don't mean that when we say love our enemies, we just let them do whatever we want. I don't mean at all that we say, uh, we just, hey, you know, you take our country or whatever. Do, you know, I'm not saying that. Jesus always stood up for what was right. It cost him his life. And so we're going to stand up for what's right. We're going to do what's right and all that. I'm not saying that. But, but Jesus, was, he was modeling for us. This is what it looks like. To be a follower, you're going you're gonna to follow. So the question is, what does it look like for us as a church? And, and so there in your note sheet, you have this section that's called the Loving Our Neighbor, the Twin Spheres of Love. And what I want to talk about, kind of two spheres, picture a big circle in your mind, two, two circles, two spheres of love that Jesus calls us as a church to be, uh, to, to love people. And the first one uh, is the most obvious one, and it's, it's the sphere of inside the movement, Okay, that the first thing that Jesus calls us to do, he calls us to love those inside the movement. In other words, people that are Christ followers, people who've given their life to Jesus. They've been born again. They, they love him. They follow him. They're, they're children of God, as the Bible would say. They've been born again. Um, that we're, to, we're to love fellow Christ followers inside the movement. And Jesus made this very clear. You may remember this. We talked about this about four weeks ago when we talked about relationship value or uh, core value number six on relationships. The very last night Jesus was with his men before he was arrested, he pulled them aside. He said, I, I'm going to be leaving. I'm trusting the movement to you. Um, there's one, uh, I want to give you a new commandment. Kind of this is the marching orders of the movement. And, and that's, I want you to love one another in the same way that I've loved you the past three years. And, and he said, uh, so love one another. And he said, in fact, this will be the badge or the mark of the movement. This will be, be kind of your, 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 your badge that shows that you're truly a follower of mine if you love one another in the way that I've loved you. And so this becomes a mark of the New Testament. 
Uh, and much of the New Testament is dedicated to explain to us what does it look like to love one another as he's loved us. But I want you to look at one particular passage. I think this is fascinating. It's in the little book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So I want you to open up your Bibles and turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just a couple of verses. Paul is writing to these new Christians in Thessalonica. They've only been Christians a few months. And, uh, and so he's giving them some instructions. At the beginning of chapter 4, he's talking to them about sexual purity. Hey, you're Christians now. This is a really important thing. If you're serious about following Jesus, you need to leave the past behind. You need to live sexually pure lives. And so he gives some of the best teaching in the New Testament on sexual purity in the first part of the chapter. Then he goes to topic number 2 in uh, verse 9. And the topic is love and loving those in the movement. He says about brotherly love, okay, so we're loving those brothers in the movement. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. This is very interesting. What Paul is saying is, I've been talking about sexual purity, had some things we need to straighten out there. Next topic is brotherly love, but honestly, he said, I don't really need to, to write you anything about this. You, you kind of got this wired. You're doing a great job in this. Um, he goes on, uh, for you yourselves have been what are the next three words? You yourselves have been what? Now underline that. Taught by God. Very important. Taught by God. What are the next four words? To love each other. He says, uh, next topic on the table is love, brotherly love, loving each other in the movement. But honestly, don't really need to write to you about this because you've got to get this wired. God himself has taught you about this. God himself, in the last few months, he's just been Christians a few months, but, but God has kind of come alongside of you and he's, he's, he's kind of taught you how to do this. In your church, it's like, you, you know, he's talked to you, this one person, he said, hey, hey, that person's hurting. Here, you need to go love them. He said, someone else, hey, this is what love looks like. So God's come along, he's personally mentored you as a church and what it means to love one another. So I don't really need to, to talk to you about this a lot because, because God himself has been your teacher. And then he moves on. And he says in verse 10, and in fact, you do love all the brothers, all the Christ followers throughout Macedonia, your big region, your, your, your province, your um, kind of county. And he says, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. So he says, I, I want to talk about brotherly love. You got it wired. Uh, hey, God's been your teacher. Just keep on growing in this area. Keep on listening to the Holy Spirit. Let him continue to mentor you. Are you with me? You got this? Okay. Now, when we talk here about strategies for us as a church, what does it look like for us to love those within the movement? Uh, our, our first core strategy is that we're going to trust that God is going to mentor us as a church in this. We're, we're going to trust, we're going to look to God, God, would you teach us how to love one another? You did it for the Thessalonians, would you do it for us? This is our first strategy. Um, and, and you know, this is already happening. Uh, this is already happening in our church. You know, the, throughout this series, in the first nine weeks of this series, every week we did one of those white couch interviews. Remember those? Uh, and every week we would tell stories of what God's doing and how he's teaching us how to love one another. And every, every week you'd have a person or a couple, they'd sit down and they'd share how they came to Rocky Peak and what God's doing in their life in amazing ways and how people have reached out and loved them in a variety of, loved them, heard their story, accepted them, helped pay their bills, a variety of ways, just kind of loved on them and how they've met God here or been healed here or whatever. Remember, so week after week, there's stories, you see. And so God is teaching us, he's already teaching us this, but, but my thought is that the next step is that we, we want to be just clue, uh, kind of really cued in because he's going to continue to teach us this. 
this, we're just starting this journey. He's gonna, we're going to trust him to teach us. And here's the thing. As he teaches us, we are going to strategically, it's part of our strategy, we're going to continue telling stories. Okay? Because the, the reason we told these stories, these white couch interviews, is to show what God is teaching us. They're to highlight them because they're very motivational, aren't they? You see these stories, and you relate to the stories, and you see how God's working in their life, and you say, how does God want to work in my life? And, and so he begins opening us up, and so we're challenging and motivating one another. There in your note sheet is this great verse from Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, it's a verse we looked at four weeks ago. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Okay? How, how can we do that? How can we spur one another on? And we believe one of the best ways we can spur one another on to love those within the movement is to tell stories of what God's doing. We believe that's one of the best ways. And so this will become part of our ongoing strategy as a church, that we will continue to tell stories. Here is what God, this is what love looks like. Look what God did in this group. Look what God did in this person's life. Look what he led this person to do. You see? And we will learn off of one another so we can spur one another on. Does that make sense? Okay, so perfect strat- strategy, we're going to trust God to teach us. As he teaches us, we're going to tell stories consistently, high on our radar, that we're going to be doing it so we can learn more and more what it means. But beyond that, um, we, we also want to create some structural strategies for our church in terms of how do we, how do we learn to love people more and more uh, within the movement. And one of our structures that we've created uh, is that we want to continue to build our church more and more around these small groups we call life groups. Now, this is not a new strategy. And for those of you who've been here any length of time, you you know how important these groups are, but we want to to make them increasingly more and more uh, a part of who we are as as we move into the future. Because there's a couple of things we believe. Uh, One of the things we believe is that when a man or a woman comes to Jesus, that the DNA of Jesus comes into their life. Uh, that's what the New Testament teaches. Um, and, and so, for example, in the little book of 1 John, which you're going to be studying in your life group this week, um, uh, John says that, that when a person comes to Jesus, there's, the DNA of Jesus comes into them, and there's three major changes that happen in their life right away. And one of those changes is that God's love comes in that person and there's a new love for other people, especially in the movement. And so so we believe this. We believe that as a Church of Christ followers, that the the DNA of Jesus has been placed in our lives and and we just need to activate it. Now here's the thing. We we also believe that, uh, that it's very easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's very, we get busy, we're distracted, we get self-focused, we get self-absorbed. And so it's very easy, especially in a larger church. Because stop and face it, in a larger church, uh, a lot of times we don't really know that many people. You know, it's like well, there's a lot of people kind of in their face, we don't really know them. And so we believe that if we're going to learn to love one another, we have got to break this down. And this is what I want you to catch today, is that you know that we build the church around small groups. But what I want you to catch is this is not about a program. This is about creating settings where we can love one another. We, we believe that if you take the church of Jesus and you break it down into smaller settings, what happens, we begin to notice each other by the side of the road. You see? And we, we can't just pass by anymore because we see each other. And now in that smaller setting, 
we can begin to see what God wants us to do. Does that make sense? And so this is a very strategic thing. Now, this couple implications of this. Because this is true, this is what it means for you, especially for those of you who are in a small group. And hopefully every time, more and more, you'll jump in. But for most of us in our small group, so for those of us who are in a small group, here's what it means for you. It means that if we're going to trust God to teach us as a church what it means to love one another, we're going to trust him to teach him like Thessalonica, that the primary place where he's going to teach us is in these small groups. You see? Because this is the setting structurally where we're setting it up where we're aware of needs. And so, so what this means is if you're serious about growing in your love for people, you need to be on high alert. What is God doing in my small group? You see? And, and God, what does it look like for me to love the people in my small group? Because that's going to be the primary place going to teach us. Not the only place, but the primary place. Okay? It also means this. It means that if we're going to build our church around these small groups, it means that those of us who have leadership gifts, we're growing with Jesus, we love people, we care about people, we're good people, we have leadership gifts, or we have hosting or, 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 or hospitality type gifts, we have a home where we can host, we really need to be jumping in. If this is our strategy, we need to be jumping in and making sure there's enough settings for the people God's bringing. See, if this is how we're going to love people, this becomes imperative that we create these settings, small group settings where we can love people. You see, God is bringing people here to Rocky Peak. We're, we're kind of in a growth mode right now. And God is bringing people. And, and you know, I see it everywhere. Like last, last night we had a welcome dessert at our house. You know, we have these once a month of, of new people. And it's just, it's just every month it's the same. God is bringing people. And the vast majority of these people, they're new at this. The vast majority of them, they haven't been to church before, or it's been a million years since they've been to church, or they've never known about Jesus, or they're coming from another religion. Or that's who God's bringing. You know, you know what I'm praying? This is what I pray every week. I'm praying that God will bring us hungry people. That's what I'm praying. There we go. I'm praying. I, I don't know if they know they're hungry. I don't care if they know they're hungry or not. Just bring hungry. Like, you know, sometimes when Lynn's making dinner, she'll say to me, how hungry are you tonight? It's a normal conversation we have. How hungry are you? You know, little, medium, very hungry. And I often give the wrong answer. <laughs> I often say, oh, not that hungry, just medium. Then I eat my dinner. Do I have any more? <laughs> it's like, like I'm hungry, I just don't realize it. So I don't care if the people that God brings, if they realize they're hungry or not when they come. Um, but I'm praying that God brings us hungry people. People are hungry to know God, hungry that want to know the truth, hungry to have their life changed, hungry to find the meaning of life. That's what I'm praying. God brings us hungry people. Whether they know Jesus now or they don't know Jesus now, I don't care. Just bring us hungry people, you see? And guess what? That's exactly what God's doing. Month after month, I'm sitting in my living room. It happened again last night. People sharing their stories. I wasn't looking for God. I hadn't been to church for years. I hadn't been this. These are people that have been here three weeks. People that have been here five weeks. People who are three months, five months, seven months. They're all recent people, and they're coming, and they're telling these amazing stories of how God is drawing them to Rocky Peak and how they're meeting God and how their life is changing, how it's being transformed, and they're hungry, and they're coming to us, and God's bringing us hungry people, and we have got to create a place for them. You see? See, we... We, if we don't have a place to love people, 
We can't love the people when God brings, and God will not bring them if we're not prepared for them. So that means by the time the fall runs out, we roll out the fall, we need to be ready. We need to have enough groups. And some of you, you have the gifts, you have the ability, and that's why I'm begging you, would you seek God and ask him, is he calling you to step out and lead a group because we need a place? You know, last night I talked to these people there, and I told them about our whole church is built around, is built around small groups. The bad news is they're almost all full. We have 70, 80 groups, whatever, they're almost all full. I said, hey, but listen, you call the church, if, you know, it's mid-quarter, it's in-quarter, but if you're all new, if you want to get in a life group, we'll find a place for you. You call the life group central, talk to Donna Smith, tell her I sent you. <laughs> And I said, we'll find a place, but we're shoehorning people in right now. You see? So we got to create a place. Now, one more thing we want to do strategically. So, what, so we want to, we're going to trust God to teach us. We're going to tell stories when he does. We're going to build a church around small groups, creating settings where God can teach us and we can love one another. But there's another thing is that we are going to continue that. We're going we're to create um, some courses to help us learn how to love people. And I began to talk to you about this this last week, that, that over this next year, 18 months, we're going to be creating 10 to 12 courses. They're going to be specifically designed to teach us how to do four things, how to pursue God, how to love people, how to serve sacrificially, and how to share Christ. And, and one of those courses that we're going to be creating is a course called Loving uh, People. Now, here's the thing. I, I want you to catch the, the vision for these courses. This is going to be a new major thing we're doing. The vision for these courses is not that you take the 10 or 12 courses over two or three years or however long. It, the vision is not that you take them and then you're done. Like, you've arrived. You're amazing, you know. I've taken the course. I'm mature. No, it's exactly the opposite. The vision is we want to expose you to a whole area of growth. We want to resource you for a lifetime of growth. Our vision is to create a movement of passionate Christ followers who are what we call self-feeding Christ followers. Okay? We, we want to give you the tools and exposure to create you, to, so that you can pursue that area as a lifetime journey of, of learning, right? And so, so that, that's the goal. Um, and, and so one of those courses is going to be on loving God. And one of the things we believe, we talked about this about a month ago, one of the things we believe is that the New Testament is full of instruction about what does it look like to love people? What does it look like to build healthy relationships? And yet the reality is we've often ignored that. And so the truth is we want to have a relationship. We don't know how. We, we don't know how to share honestly from our hearts so we can connect. We don't know how to be vulnerable. We don't know how to create a safe environment for others to be vulnerable. We don't know how to set boundaries so we don't get walked over. We don't know how to do conflict. We don't know how to forgive. We don't know how to deal with our past so we don't drag our past and sabotage our current relationships. We don't know how. We want to have a relationship, but all we've ever seen is dysfunctional relationships. Right? We don't know how, so we're like two people with sunbirds trying to hug each other every time we hugs. Well, oh, that hurts. You know, it doesn't feel very good. So I want relationship, but oh, no. And so we do this thing, you know, and so, so we want to create a, a course, and we're going to be creating this this next year on this topic. So, so you're with me on strategy? We're going to trust God to teach us. 
We're going to tell stories. We're going to create settings. And we're going to create a course to start us on a lifelong journey of what does it look like to do relationships the Jesus way, okay? Now, that's what we're going to do inside the movement. What are we going to do in the second sphere? The second sphere is, well, if the first one's inside the movement, uh, guess what the second one is? Yeah, you're so good. You're amazing. Uh, Outside the movement, yeah. Now, honestly, I think this is the one where we may need the greater help. (laughs) You're like, man, bummer. Bummer. because uh, as Christ followers, I think we kind of get this. We love people inside the movement. I mean, it's like we've seen it modeled to some degree. We've seen great examples. We kind of get that. But, but loving people outside the movement is a little stranger for us. Um, we started the day with the story of the spiritual leader. Remember, he, he had a, who asked Jesus a question, who's my neighbor? And he had what a, I'd call today like a, two, a two-sphere paradigm of love. And, and in one sphere was his neighbor's. And one was his non-neighbors. Now, this was part of the, the Jewish mentality, at least of some of the, the teachers of the day, that the, some of the Jewish leaders of the day, we know this from history, that they would teach that when the Bible said love your neighbor as yourself, that, that neighbor needed to be qualified. And so they would teach there are certain people that are neighbors. That would be like God-fearing Jews would be neighbors. But like sinner Jews, uh, not so much, not neighbors. Samaritans, Definitely not neighbors. Gentiles, they're not neighbors. You following this? So they kind of have this two-bucket approach. You got the neighbors, you got the non-neighbors. We're to love our neighbors, but not our non-neighbors. Even God doesn't love non-neighbors, though we don't need to love them. And so they brought this mentality. That's where the question was coming from. Jesus, who's my neighbor? Are Are you following? Okay, so... I I think that unwittingly, many times as followers of Jesus, we have done the same things as a movement. That that in our mind, that there's certain people that we we believe we're supposed to love, and there's other people we're not supposed to love. And and Jesus comes along and he blows us out of the water, but he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. What's the point? No, you love uh, extravagantly. You love indiscriminately. You love whoever God brings. You even love your enemies. You love your friends, you love the middle ground, you love, your, you, you love them all, you see? So Jesus blows us out. And, and I think this is where we often need help as part of the movement of, of Jesus because I think we've often missed the mark in here. Because if we're honest and you think about the movement of Jesus, at least in this country, we've often felt like there are certain people that are non-neighbors that we don't need to love. Like, let me just throw out some people. Like, we can do this on a personal level, Right? We get a person, oh, maybe my ex-spouse, the friend who betrayed me, that gossip at work, my boss who's unfair. There's certain people at a personal level who will say, okay, they're like non-neighbor. I don't need to love them because they're evil. They're bad. And I'm sure God loves them. So I don't need to love them. Um, So at a personal level, but man, we can do this internationally. We can do this on a sociological level. Like like stop and think about like some of the people and the way we will treat people that are, are, are admittedly our enemies. Like, how do we respond as Christ followers to people that are like some of these big-name atheists that are out there writing books today, like a Sam Harris or whatever, who's just kind of writing, just writing, you know, horribly untrue and unfair, attacking things of Christianity and Christians, you know? And he's just an outspoken atheist. Like, how do we respond to the Sam Harrises of the world? Uh, how do we respond to, to like, pro-abortion uh, uh, advocates? How do we respond to, to those people? How do we respond to like 
like uh, pro-gay rights activists, like, like judges who sit on panels at beauty contests, right? Like, how do we respond as believers to these people who stand against things that we would say they're our enemies? They hate us. They're against us. How do we respond? And I'll tell you what, the church of Jesus in our country, in my time, has often responded with hatred. We have responded just like Jesus said we're not to respond. What he said is, what credit is that to you if you love those who love you, even sinners do that. I'm calling you to a different standard to love those who are your enemies. Not that you agree with them, not that you don't stand against what they stand for, but that you love them. Are you with me in this? Now, this is a whole new calling. This is a whole new calling. And this is the calling of Jesus, that we love people. We love all people. We don't care you're for us, you're against us, what you believe, where you come from. We don't care if you're a Buddhist, a Muslim, there's always witness that comes to our door, the Mormon. We don't care who you are or what you stand for or what you've done or what you believe. We are gonna love you in the name of Jesus because that is who God is. You see? That's his calling in our lives. Now, a few months ago, uh, I share with you just a great quote. It was from a book that I come across. The author's name was Carl Richard, and he wrote this book. I don't think it's a Christian book, um, but it was a book called 12 Greeks and Romans Who Changed the World. And he talked about the early centuries of the Christian movement and how it changed the world. And there in your note sheet, uh, I gave this quote, and I want to I go over it again. Because uh, I think he, he's illustrating this love for those outside the movement and inside the movement, kind of both. He says, by contrast... <coughs> Converting to, converting to Christianity, like when you became a Christian in the early centuries, it meant joining a family that offered physical, economic, and emotional support in exceedingly troubled times. Early Christians, they shared their wealth freely with widows. Now, as far as I know, this is not a believer writing this. He's just telling the story of history. And so he says, early Christians shared their wealth freely with widows, orphans, the elderly, the unemployed, the disabled, and the ill. They placed their, their lives at grave risk, caring for victims of the plague and other natural disasters while the pagans would flee. They ransomed one another from barbarian captors. They distributed bread during famines. They visited prisons and miners and the most wretched of all slaves. One group of Christians in Rome even sold themselves into slavery to raise the money to ransom their brothers from prison. They provided for the burial of the poor and were hospitable to travelers. Even the hostile emperor whom the Christians called Julian the Apostate, this was a guy who was emperor at 350 AD. The, the Roman Empire had become technically Christian about 30, 40 years earlier. He's trying to turn them back to the worship of the pagan gods. So this guy's writing, he's complaining. He says, Julian the Apostate complained, these godless Galileans, that's what they call the Christians, these godless Galileans, they feed not only their own poor, but others while we neglect our own. You see what he's saying? He's just like, you can't stop these people. We gotta stop these people, but they just love people. They just love people. They don't just love, they're so inside the movement. They love those outside the movement. How can we stop them? They're just loving. I wanna turn the nation back to a godless nation. It's making, it's making it very tough because these people just love people so much. It's hard to shut them up. It's hard to stop them. It's hard to keep them from going because they're just loving people and it's irritating. <laughs> you see? Now that's the calling. 
That's the calling of Jesus, the movement of Jesus, that we would be people who love people. We don't care who you are, what you stand for, what you believe. We may disagree. We may stand against you. We may fight this. We may stop that. But we will never stop loving you, right? You can't stop us from loving you. Now, what does it mean for us as a church? I think the first thing it means is that we as followers out there in the community, this is where it starts for us, at your job, at your family, with your ex-spouse, with whatever, that this is where it starts. It starts with us at a personal level. And there's nothing that can replace that. But strategically, what does it mean for a church as an organization? And I don't know everything it's going to mean. Um, uh, is God going to call us, for example, to begin stepping up our efforts in working with the poor in Mexico? Is that, is that the next step? Is he going to call us to do more ministry to the poor in Ethiopia? We've started eyeglass ministry there. Um, is God going to ask us to go into the San Fernando Valley and begin to work uh, with the homeless in new ways? Is God going to call us as a church to start digging wells to, prov- to provide fresh water for the poor in Africa where, where millions die every year just because of a lack of clean water? Is he going to ask us to raise money for a mosquito net so that young kids don't die of malaria over there? Um, I don't know what he's going to ask us to do, but here's what I believe. I believe he's going to lead us. I believe he's going to teach us. And I believe he's going to show us how to make a difference. That we are here to make a difference. And he's going to teach us how to love people both inside the movement and outside the movement. That's where we're going as a church. That we are going to become the hands and feet of Jesus in very tangible ways. This is what I believe he's calling us to do. And we will watch and we'll see where he leads us. Remember what I told you the very first week of this series. Vision is not something we create. Vision is something we receive. We don't create a vision and ask God to bless it. We receive a vision and we follow it, right? And so as we go in the future, God will lead us and he will direct us on how to love people inside the movement, outside the movement. We want to be like the church in Thessalonica, taught by God, and as he teaches, we will do and do so all the more, as Paul said. Now, as we wrap this thing up, two quick questions for you. There you know, she the section in the movement. Where do you stand? I got a couple questions for you to run this through. Number one, are you ready to learn to love? We saw the church at Thessalonica, they were taught by God. God taught them. But I don't believe God can teach us unless we're ready to learn. That, that we have to come individually in our own lives as a church and say, okay, God, we want to please you. We want to love people. We, we get what it's all about, but now we need you to show what does that look like. And we have to be willing to learn. And what I can pretty much guarantee you is it won't always be easy. <laughs> you know, there's always a cost for love, isn't there? Uh, when the, the good Samaritan stops, he had to spend his wine. He had to spend his oil. He had to give his time. He gave two days' salary. He put it on his MasterCard. I mean, there was time. There was energy. There was cost. And, and so I believe God will teach us how to love those inside the movement, outside, but it's going to be a cost. Are you ready to learn? Do you want to learn? And you're like, that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Number two, the second question is, are you ready? Oh, by the way, I'm changing number two. Heads up. So you're going to have a, not the right number of blanks. Just make them up. Here's a better way of saying it. Are you ready to lay down your limits? That's an important question. Are you ready to lay down your limits? This man that we started the day with, I want you to catch this. He asked the question, who's my neighbor? I want you to catch this. 
He wanted to love people. He was willing to love people. All he wanted to know was at what point can I stop loving people? He said, I, I will, okay, I'll love my neighbor, but can you tell me who my neighbor is so I can know when I can stop loving? See, in his worldview, there were certain people that you should love, neighbors, certain people you shouldn't love, Samaritans, sinners, Gentiles. He had this two-sphere this two, uh, two paradigm. And so, so he had these certain limits. I'm supposed to love these people, but not these people. Here's the question. In his mind, like Samaritans were off limits. Here's my question for you. Who are the Samaritans in your life? That's my question. Where are your limits? And are you willing to lay them down? Are you willing to, to lay down those boundaries and say, hey, there's certain people in my life that I don't need to love. There's certain people that are off limits. They're outside the boundaries. They're non-neighbors. Might be that ex-spouse. It might be that friend. It might be that boss. It might be a certain group of people. It might be pro this or anti that or whatever. It might be that liberal talk show host you want to you know, shoot or whatever. But like, like who is it in your life that you've said, hey, I put limits around this person. They're in the non-neighbor category. I don't need to love them. I put limits around them. If we're going to become a movement of passionate Christ followers, we have to be willing to lay down our limits and recognize there are no Samaritans to us. There are only people, some that love us, some that are neutral, some that hate us, but there's no Samaritans. We're just called to love people. We're called to love them extravagantly. We're called to love them lavishly. We're called to, to love them indiscriminately. You may hate us, but you can never stop us from loving you because we're part of the movement of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a high calling on our life. Lord, frankly, it seems impossible. I look at my own life, Lord, I'm not even at the ABCs of this. I read a quote like that about the early Christians, and I just, I realize I'm just way too self-absorbed. I don't have that kind of love. I, I need some help in this. I need some serious help. But God, I, I want to learn. And as a church, Lord, we want to learn. We want to learn how to love people like you've said, like the Good Samaritan. We're going to love them extravagantly, indiscriminately, lavishly, generously. We're just going to love people. And so, God, today, on this day, we ask you that you would come and be our teacher. As you taught the church of Thessalonica, we ask you to, church, to, 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 uh, to train and to teach the church at Rocky Peak. We ask you to enroll us in your classroom of love. We ask you to tutor us, mentor us, teach us, one by one, and as a church, and what it looks like to love those inside the movement, and what it looks like to love those outside. We pray this for the sake of our leader and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.